0: Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast. Every week we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. It's good to be here. Is anyone glad to be in the house of the Lord today? I was glad, very glad, when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord today. Our God is great. He's mighty. He's so good. How many people were blessed? If you were here last week or heard the message last week from Pastor ReCab, how many were blessed by the word of God through that young man? I think the Lord used him in a mighty way, I know, in my own life, and I pray for many in the church. Just a great reminder of, of that frame, that framed the early church and those things that we are about Uh, that give us the strength of the Lord to move on. Our God is just so good, y'all. I'm excited about the Lord. Well, today, uh, we're going to jump back into the gospel. I'm going to try to figure out how to keep this thing on, this shirt. Let's see if that will work. You may have to adjust it a little bit because it's close. Amen. It looks like that might work. Praise God. Well, my... what we're going to talk about today is, is a phrase. We're going to look at uh, this, this section of Mark chapter 5, but there's a phrase, maybe you've heard it. Have any, has anyone heard, won't he do it? Have you heard that phrase? Won't he do it? Now that phrase is actually not really a question because it's rhetorical and, and people will say, won't he do it after God shows up When you didn't think he would show up. Amen. When God does something unexpected, when God does something that's a blessing. Uh, A few months back in January, uh, a a friend of mine who's been friends of mine for many, many years, he was, uh, he's an IT, he works in IT and he was in the uh, parking lot of Crozer Chester Hospital when he had a massive heart attack. He flatlined five different times as they were working on him. Yesterday, I played golf with him. Won't he do it? Amen? Won't he do it? Our God is able, and we ought to be excited about what our God can do. And so how much more excited can we be? Let's stand up together. And I want us to read Mark chapter 5, the first 20 verses, and we're going to read it responsively. Mark chapter 5, the first 20 verses, you can see that some of them are bolded. Bolded is when I want you all to read, and I want you to, to read it with gusto to the Lord. Uh, the non-bolded ones, I'll read the very last verse, verse 20. We'll read it together. But let's look at God's word together. They went across the lake, To the region of the Gerasenes, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Let's read this last verse together. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a word of deliverance. What a word of glory. Won't he do it? Amen. Amen. I'm simply speaking on the subject today. Won't he do it? Let me pray. Father God, there is nothing that you are not able to do. You're God all by yourself. You don't need anyone's help. You are great. You are mighty. You are almighty. And Lord, we pray that today you will quicken the faith of us as your people and you will give us your perspective for our own lives, for our world, and that you will stir up every affection in our heart towards you, that your name might be glorified in and through your people to the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow. God is at work, and the same God from Mark chapter 5 is at work in our world even today. Amen? Isn't that good to know? There's nothing our God cannot do. We used to sing a song like that in Sunday school way back in the day. Our God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. And I wish I had a bigger bicep to to do that, but there's nothing my God cannot do. Our God is great, he's mighty, he's powerful. won't he do it? He did it in this man's life. I want to walk through this story together of, of of this man starting uh in the beginning of it these first five verses uh this first scene here he is indeed a dead man walking you you look at the situation you look at at the the what 's going on in this man 's life, the degree to which he is absolutely debilitated, the degree to which the power of these demons we 're going to find out it 's not just a demon but it 's many ha- have 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 wreaked havoc on this man 's life it 's bad y 'all it 's so bad that the Bible says no one could bind him, no person, no group of people could stop him even when they bound him with chains by the supernatural power of these demonic forces at work in his life, he would break the chains on his arms, on his feet. They couldn't stop him. Can you imagine for a moment the life that this man is living? The Bible says he lives among the tombs. This is a picture of the walking dead This is a man who is utterly bereft. He is cutting himself, the Bible says, with stones. Can you imagine? He is a bloody mess. He's cutting himself with stones. There's probably infections all over his body. And no one can get near him. And he lives away among the dead. This man is actually in a demon-imposed solitary confinement. His life is bereft of any hope. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, let us go to the other side. Jesus said, there's a greeting committee on the other side. i got to meet this greeting committee. Amen. Jesus had a purpose and Jesus was going from a land in Galilee that was full of Jewish people to go to the other side was to go to the side where there weren't so many Jewish people. It was Gentile territory. Jesus is going out of the normal course of the religious business of the day, but saying God has sent me and I have an appointment on the other side. You know, I thank God that at one point in my own life, God had an appointment for me. He had a time and a place for me, and God reached me with his grace, his love, and his mercy. Won't he do it? He's done it in many of your lives, but God had an appointment on the other side. He comes to the other side, and he is greeted <laughs> by this man full of demons. And, 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 and I want you to just see this greeting, he is, this man is bound up like no one else. Jesus has, has exercised other demons already in Mark's gospel, and there will be more. But there's just something different and more powerful here as we'll unpack the rest of this story. And we know this man is bound up, but here's my question to us today. What has us bound up? Because sometimes we can look and see a person who's bound by a certain sin, maybe by a certain addiction, but so often uh, Pastor Recap talked last week about the sleeping church, about the state of the church where we're not really making the impact for Jesus that we ought to have. And I believe he's right, and I believe it's because the church is bound up. We're bound up in ways often that we can't even see. Let me suggest a couple ways. I think that the church is bound by the American dream. We are bound by a system and by a mindset that, 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 that tells us our worth and value is equated to the stuff that we have. The one that has the most stuff wins. That, that mindset, and listen, I'm not against the idea of capitalism. Don't hear me that way. I'm not against capitalism, but uh, unfettered, left to its own, capitalism is a system that says that you have to always be in a state of wanting and needing more, built into the algorithm algorithm of capitalism is is that you will always be dissatisfied because the system needs you to be a consumer 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 more 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 or else it can't sustain itself and we live like that very often listen I'm not talking to the billionaires in here today if you are here please talk to me after service I have a message on tithing amen I'm not talking to the millionaires in this place. I'm talking to the comfort heirs. And if we're not careful, we can all be comfort heirs. Comfort heirs are more dedicated to their own comfort than they are dedicated to living as disciples for Jesus Christ. And we're all, we can all get there very easily, very normally, very naturally even in the church, God help us. Second way that we can be bound is the first cousin of the American dream, and that is jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. Comparing ourselves, constantly comparing ourselves and seeing how we stack up, it's so built into our culture. It's so built into things. How do we determine how well we're doing? We do that by looking and comparing ourselves with others. We have built into our systems and our ways and our ethos the idea of competition above cooperation. This morning, as I was driving, I live two miles away from New Life Church, and I go by a number of churches when I drive here. And I just, I just prayed as I passed each church and said, God bless them today. God bless their services. God help them to reach people for Jesus. God be with that pastor, even if I don't know who that is be with your church today. This is not about new life being something great and grand, the city on a hill, no it not at all. It's about Jesus Christ being glorified in and through his church wherever it is, whoever it is. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 puts it this way, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of Your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Look at that. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that they may benefit. That that it may benefit those who listen. God is calling us to a way of life that is not competing against one another, but cooperating with one another listen when you are 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 given to the idea of building others up that is your the ethos of your life that is what you are about you will not live in jealousy and envy in fact when they progress when they have great gains you glory in that and you're happy about it because you're living to build others up the last thing here that, that binds us up and I think has bound up the church for far too long. I'm, I'm just wondering a month ago, maybe along with many of you, I thought we're almost done with COVID. I was looking forward to no masks at church, and I was looking forward just to other freedoms that may come. And now here we are again in another wave. When will it end? I don't know. But I believe God wants us to learn something in this time. But I believe one of the issues, again, where we're bound up is in a prideful religious spirit. Pastor Recap talked about this a little bit last week when we are more excited about our particular distinctives as a church the the very particular things that make us different from other churches maybe a a minor doctrinal issue or a way of practice that distinguishes us from others when we are more excited about those things. When we glory in those things, more than we glory in the risen Savior, we're in trouble. And I believe that that very much marks the church in America. We've made so much of what makes us distinct, what makes us set apart, and we've not made nearly enough of Jesus Christ when we value our tribe more than our king, we are in trouble. God help us. God help us in these things. Here's what I want to say. When we believe in the same Lord, when we reverence the same word of God, and when we long for the power of the same Holy Spirit, then we must get on mission together and share the good news of Jesus Christ with a dying world. That is the call to the church, not to break off and push away because we're not exactly on the same page on every particularity and doctrine. God help us. The kingdom of God is what we are asking him to bring fully to bear in our day, in our country, through our church. But listen, I want to say this. New Life Philly is not the hope of the world. Thanks be to God, somebody ought to say. New Life Philly is not the hope of the world. New Life Philly is not the hope of Philadelphia. New Life Philly is not the hope of Olney. It's just not. The church of Jesus Christ united Glorifying him is the hope of the world. The day for celebrity church, celebrity pastor, it needs to be over because there's one celebrity, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one superstar who we will will give glory, honor, and praise to. We go on in Mark chapter 5. The next piece is this confrontation that happens between Jesus and uh, these demons. We find out that they're actually demons and it it's kind of a, a weird passage here because we don't see this happening in other situations where Jesus is dealing with with demons. But there seems like there's this long conversation going on between Jesus and the man at first and then the demon that reveals himself as many demons. And there's this conversation going on. And let me just say this. Some people want to use this as this is how you do spiritual warfare. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 5. This is what you need to do. You need to find out the demon's name and how many there are, and you need to do all that. This is the only place we see that in the Bible. And very often the Bible is describing what happened, not prescribing how we do it. Amen? Don't start asking demons their names tomorrow. Please don't do that. We don't need to do that. But we need to understand the work of the enemy and the enemy is at work. And there's this dialogue going on between these demons and Jesus. And it's really weird. But at one point, Jesus does ask him, what's your name? He says, my name is Legion. For we, he says, are many. We're many. In the Roman army, a legion was six thousand men. I don't believe that that means there were exactly 6,000 demons in this man. We have no idea. We do know this. There was an army of demons in this man. When you look at his condition, when you understand where he's at, you can understand that there was an army of demons at work in this poor man's life. It was bad. But here's the strategy. I want you to see what the enemy does. Not really what this man is doing, but what the enemy does. Look, look in verse six. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him. And then he talks to him and he calls his name Jesus. And he cries out his title, son of the most high God. What does all that look like? Running to Jesus, getting on your knees before him, calling on his name and calling him by his title, son of the most high God, that looks like worship. As a matter of fact, the word that the Bible uses for falling on his knees, the the Greek word there is proskuneo. And it is a word that most often in the New Testament is translated as worship. And so from all accounts to look at what this man is doing, inspired by the work of these demons, it looks like worship. He's coming to Jesus. He's getting on his knees. He's getting low before him. He's calling on his name. But there's something different happening here. Look with me in the middle of verse 7. The translation in the NIV is this. In God's name, he says, don't torture me. Now, now, actually, what he's saying there and, and the formula of the words there is he is calling Jesus to make an oath. I implore you in the name of God. You're the son of the most high God. I implore you in your father's name, in God's name. Don't torture me. He is trying to, by calling Jesus by name, by calling him by title, the superstitious belief in the first century was that if you could call someone by their name and title, you could have some control over them. And so he's trying to control Jesus and bring him into this oath. And now to say, now you can't torture me. I'm calling you into an oath. False worship. Is always used to try to manipulate God, not to worship him. It will manipulate God. I want want you to see here this this idea of, of what's happening with this man. This false worship. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1, Paul uses these words. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Proud. Abusive, I'm sorry, proud, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. He says, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, lovers of, a pleasure, he says, rather than lovers of God. And I want you to see this, verse 5. Having a form of godliness. Somebody say form. Having a form of godliness, something that looks like godliness, something that is a hologram of godliness, something that from the outside, when you look at it, you can say that's what godliness looks like. This man, through this this demon-possessed man, comes to Jesus with a form of godliness, with a false worship that looks like the real thing, but it is a form. And, And the warning here in 2 Timothy is that there is a form of church. This is written not about the culture, but about the people in the church. These words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And there is this form of godliness, but it denies the very power of God at work. The word that's used there for form is uh, morphosis, morphosis. And we see that uh, another uh, way of using that word in uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transform, metamorphosis, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, what we see in Second Timothy chapter three is a form, it's just a morphosis, it looks like it, but God says, don't just look like it, be it. God says, I want to move in your life in such a way that you are now transformed by the renewing of your mind, God will transform a people for Himself. Mm. So this man is in this conversation. The demons are in this conversation with Jesus. He says we're legion, and he has this bartering with Jesus to go into these pigs—two thousand pigs. I don't know if I've ever seen two thousand pigs. That's a lot of pigs, y'all. And Jesus sends the demons out. They go into these pigs. Anyone watching this must be absolutely freaking out. And the pigs rush headlong into the Sea of Galilee, and they drown. Crazy stuff going on here. Anyone who saw it could not deny that something powerful happened. And then here is this man now. Who was out of his mind, but now the scripture says he's clothed and in his right mind. Wow, what a work of God. God is at work. So, this moves us to the last part of this passage, scene three from possession to purpose. This demon possessed man, by the end of this passage, is no longer a demon possessed man, but now he is an evangelist for Jesus Christ. <laughs> Possessed by demons, but now he is an evangelist for Jesus. He goes from possession to purpose. He goes from bondage to a breakthrough. He goes from being debased to being delivered by the very hand of God. God's at work, won't he do it? He is delivered fully, gloriously delivered by the hand of God. He goes from being a man whose mind and body was totally under the control of the evil one to one who wants nothing more than to be with the Lord of glory. What a work of God. So I just want us to look as we get ready to close here at the two reactions to this glorious miracle, this glorious work of God. The first reaction is the reaction of the people. Remember, this is Gentile land that they're on. They don't have the messianic hope of the people that were in Galilee, that, where Jesus was preaching and doing miracles. They have no such hope. So Jesus shows up and he does this amazing work by the hand of God. And their reaction is, first of all, fear. Does anyone get that? I think I'd be afraid, too. What is happening Ultimately, it's not just fear. They say, they plead with Jesus. They beg Jesus, get away, go away from this place. Can you understand that? 2,000 pigs, I'm going to make an estimate, probably worth about a half a million dollars. That's a lot of denarii to put it in Bible words. That's a lot of money. Jesus caused an economic issue within that community. But he delivered a man from the hand of the enemy to where he's now sober and in his right mind. But the calculus, those who didn't know God, who didn't have the hope and expectation of God and who found Money and economics to be more important than the work of God in this man's life was to say, leave us, go away. There is a reality that the visitation of God can come into a person's life and yet because there are things that we value more than that, we don't have the hope of God, maybe money or material things or something else is more important. Our reaction is not, thank you, Jesus, but get away from me. That's the reaction. But there's another reaction. Hallelujah. The reaction of this man. And the Bible says he begs to be with Jesus. He begs him. You know, in the Greek, it's actually the exact same word that was used of the people when they plead for Jesus to go away. They're begging him to go away. But he's begging, Jesus, let me go with you. I just want to be with you. I just want to be near you. I want to go where you go, Lord. Well, you know, we've been going through Mark's gospel, and very often there's this idea of the messianic secret, right? When Jesus casts out demons, and he says, don't, don't tell anybody, keep this quiet. He heals, don't tell anybody, keep this quiet. But Jesus this time doesn't say that at all. Because he's not in Galilee He's not in Judah where people are going to flock to him with this messianic expectation. Now he's in the Decapolis, these 10 cities on the other side of the Jordan River. It's a big area, y'all. It's as big as from Philadelphia to Lancaster. And it's as big as from Westchester to Reading. I looked it up on a map. 80 miles one way, 40 miles the other. There's this huge area. And this is where he is, and it's a Gentile-controlled area. And Jesus says, don't come with me. Go to your own people. Go go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done. I love this. The the Scripture says, Jesus says, tell them how much the Lord has done. And when it talks about his activity, it says, he told them how much Jesus had done. Amen? Amen. In Luke's gospel, it says, Jesus says, tell them how much God has done for you. And then he goes out and tells them about Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who did all this for the man. And he gets it. And he goes through that whole area. Listen, go and tell your own people. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be doing a whole lot of ministry in that area. But this man, because of what happened in his life, of how God set him free, of how people knew what was going on, this man could reach someone. This man could glorify God. This man would be a living witness to the power and the love of God in that area. Go to your own people. I think that's a word for us today. To every one of us who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, young, old, whatever race or culture we come from, whatever our economic, our economic status is, go to your people and let them know what God has done for you. We've got to celebrate what God has done in our lives. And we won't celebrate it unless we focus on it and remember it and live lives of thanksgiving. God has done a great thing. Go and tell your people what he has done. Let me finish up with this. What is your, won't he do it, need in your life? Won't he do it? And I'm not talking about a list of wishes and desires. We all have those. I was talking with someone recently who's been walking with the Lord for at least 40 years. He asked me what, what I'm doing, and he was asking me what my plans were. I told him my wife had retired. He said, when are you retiring? Jesus only knows the answer to that. But I told him what my plan was, what my hope was to serve God every day of my life. As long as I have strength, as long as I have ability, not always as the lead pastor of New Life Church. I want to hand that off one day, but I want to serve God with every fiber of my being for the rest of my life. And my friend, he said, well, what I want to do is I want to win the lottery and I want to retire and I want to travel to fun places and buy stuff that's what he said walking with the Lord for 40 plus years it broke my heart I didn't react in the time but God is telling me to go back to my friend and talk to him because there's an issue there we live for him your won't he do it In your life, it's not about stuff and things. It's not centered on your relaxation, but it is centered on God's exaltation. It's not centered on your comfort, but it's centered on God's glory. But here is the thing. When we give our lives... Brothers and sisters, I hope you hear me. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if there's a spiritual lethargy that you need to come out of. I don't know if you're truly building your life as Jesus as the center of everything in your life. But listen to me, when you do that, when you die to, to many other things, and when you make Jesus the center. He will bless every part of your life and give you a joy and satisfaction that the stuff of this world will never give you. You might never be a billionaire, never a millionaire. You might not even be a comfort You might struggle, but the joy and the satisfaction of a life lived for Jesus is like nothing else in the world. One last word. Because this is what we often say. I'd love to do that, but I'm just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just I'm just from Wompsville. That's me. That's where I'm from. What can you expect out of me? You see that in the Bible, Moses said, I, I can't talk real good. I'm not much of a speaker. Paul was not known to be the eloquent speaker that Apollos was. Peter was an unlearned man. Deborah was a woman in a patriarchal age, given leadership. I'm just a woman. There's no way I can do that. God called her. You see that over and over again in Scripture. So I want you to know in your own life, Stop with the I'm just and be with the I am. Be with the I am. He will use you for his glory and for his purpose when you give your life to him. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this account that we read about today of this man, so bound so lost and then so set free by the Savior. Lord, we pray, I pray that you will work in the hearts of many people in this room, many people listening to this. And Lord, we will see areas where we have become lethargic in our walk with Jesus, where we're missing the mark. And God, call us to a renewed faith, to renewed vigor, and call us, Father God, to clasp hands and lock arms with sisters and brothers who are also on this same battlefield for Jesus. Lord, raise up your church that your name might be exalted and glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information, or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you.